0: Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, that we recently launched my first fragrance. I'm so proud of it. I think the smell is amazing. I created it for you, for me, and uh, it doesn't actually involve any compromises. It's vegan, sulfate and phthalate free, cruelty free, My goal was to create something that marked all your milestone moments, but that didn't compromise your and others' health. And it's environmentally friendly with sustainable packaging. So head over to my website, RebeccaMinkoff.com, and check out my first fragrance. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Super Women with me, Rebecca Minkoff. Today's guest is Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. She's going to give us really critical insights into how to find a job right now, how to lead in crisis, and also some really great tips on how to avoid burnout. So take a listen. Welcome to our Corona-specific editions. It's so nice to have you. Nice so- to be here. Do you want to share a little bit just so our listeners can kind of get a handle on like your specialty, like what you started um, Bossed Up Mm -hmm. for, just so that they know to... Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I really focus at Bossed Up, my company, on providing research-driven tactical and practical training for women who are navigating all kinds of career transitions. And I started Boss Up back in 2013 after I found myself completely and utterly burnt out. <laughs> um, for me, I started my career in the realm of campaigns and elections in politics, domestic politics, which I absolutely loved. But after rising quickly, going from an intern to a state director, um, and really working every single day to advance political issues and candidates that I cared about, I realized that I'd been martyring myself for the campaign or for my career. And that just was not sustainable. Um, so when I burnt out completely at what, 24 years old, the ripe old age of 24, I realized that if I was going to be in this for the long haul, if I was going to be an advocate, uh, professionally, I was going to have to find a more sustainable way to do that. And Following that curiosity down a rabbit hole of research led me to putting together a board of advisors and providing the kind of training and starting to build the community that I needed myself. And it's grown since then. So it's been an exciting journey. Wow.
0: I love that you started so young too. Like I, it's very rare that you meet <laughs> fellow people who, who at, you know, yeah. decided to just go it alone. That's awesome.
1: Totally. I've read about your story too. And I, similar to you, I've sort of followed the journey of my client because it's been part of my journey. So in the beginning, it was about burnout prevention and advocating for that raise or that promotion. And now we're really focusing more on leadership and how to be a great leader. And we're just growing with this audience of women who want to impact the world through their career.
0: Yep. So one thing I want to touch on, which I know plenty of people that are just like, I don't have a job right now. I don't know how uh, long I rent and, and everyone's looking for a job. And how do I sort of stand out? And that's a really scary prospect. Like, so what, what would you recommend to people that are, you know, uh-huh. we're part of the furloughs or the layoffs of, well, just 33 million people. That's all.
1: I know it's so scary, and I I just want to acknowledge how truly off the charts our unemployment situation is right now. We've never really seen anything like this, so if you feel like you're in uncharted territory, know that you are not alone. And I've been, frankly, somewhat impressed with the rapid response coming from Washington uh, in terms of stimulus checks going straight to American bank accounts. As a small business owner, I'm a little less impressed (laughs) with what's happening for the SBA situation, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, (laughs) So for those who who are on the job hunt, keep in mind, and I know this because I work with job seekers every single day as my clients, people are still hiring. I would say there was about a four to six week freeze where we all had to figure out like what the heck our new normal was going to be. But companies like Google and Facebook just announced that they've just blanketly across the board allowed their workers to be remote workers for the rest of the year. Microsoft just canceled all of their big employee conferences throughout July 2021. So businesses are starting to plan more longer term in a new environment, meaning longer term hiring is on the agenda. I had, I think four of nine clients who I've been working with in the past two months get job offers that were excellent job offers and land them. So it really is important to keep in mind that certain industries are still hiring and certain industries are not worth trying right now, including the airline industry and the hotel industry and anything related to event management. It's just not not where you wanna focus your energy right now. But for everybody who's who's navigating this really unforeseeable pivot, we have to keep in mind that you need to connect the dots between your past experiences and how those skills are transferable to your future potential. And that's one thing that all job seekers really can focus on is how we communicate that potential value that you bring to the table, even for an employer who is not in your historical industry.
0: So it's not necessarily focusing on your dream job or the job you want to have for your career. Right. You know, what are the skills that I actually possess right now? What am I great at, even if it's not the love that I, you know, had in mind? And that's where you sort of go and you go after those companies.
1: I call that a bridge job. Yeah. I like to I like to imagine this bridge between where you are and where you want to be and oftentimes and this has always been true for career pivoters who want to navigate from uh the law to ergonomic design right. um which one of my clients just did. You know, you have to really be clear about what are the bridge jobs that you might need to take to get your feet wet, to get you over this hump, to get you over this ca- you know, this this cavernous uh sort of economic situation we find ourselves in just to pay the bills and get your get your foot in the other door. And one thing I found really helpful is applying something known as the CAR method to your resume and your cover letter and how you're describing your skills. The CAR method stands for challenge, action, result. Instead of just listing off on your resume that as a digital marketer, I wrote 30 emails for a list of 25,000, you need to be more detailed about what that action resulted in and what challenge that action helped overcome that Mm -hmm. way. When you give that detail, for instance, you know, increased our sales by 15% by, you know, writing 30 emails to a list of 25,000 that resulted in an open rate of 33% and a, you know, client, uh, new client rate of 2%, whatever those numbers are, right? If you could really provide the detail of the challenge you faced, the action you took and the result that that action uh, produced, you can paint a clear picture to your next employer about what challenges of theirs you can help solve. And that's a really important story to tell with every line of your bullet, bullet point in your resume if you can.
0: And do you think there's certain tips for how many times should you email HR? Because like, it's one thing if you're emailing a small business and you're, you know that someone's likely Mm -hmm. to read this, but if you're trying to get a job at a big corporation, like how do you even? Yeah,
1: that's such a great question. So I just filmed my sixth or seventh course with LinkedIn learning about references, referrals and recommendations. And in preparation for that course, I learned that referred applicants, people who apply for a job with an internal referral are 15 times more likely to be hired than folks who simply apply via a job board. And so it is so, so important when you submit an application to do everything in your power to find a real human, preferably a human who works for that company already, establish some kind of rapport with them, maybe even through an online Zoom coffee meeting for the first time and ask for them to actually submit a formal referral for you. Or if it's a smaller business, to just put in a good word for you. I remember my first job uh, out of college I landed this big state director title with uh, what was then the Obama campaign 2.0. And I had no experience. I was the youngest state director in the country. And I knew my age was going to be a barrier I had to overcome when making the case as to why I was equipped for this job. So after I submitted my application and had my first screener interview, I leveraged everyone I knew (laughs) from my two summers of interning on political campaigns who might be peripherally connected to the hiring manager and just had them call or email her and put in a good word for me. And when she picked up the phone for our interview, she said, okay, Emily, you can call the campaign off. <laughs> and I did play dumb a little bit, but I was like, Oh, was that not clear that I'm equipped to be an organizer? This <laughs> Sometimes you I always say it's better to err on the side of of being a little over the top, um, as long as you're following instructions. If they explicitly say do not contact HR, you should probably heed that warning. Yeah, totally.
0: I love that though. I think it's always at least for me been about six degrees of separation and it
1: always goes a long way. Right. So it's yeah huge way, definitely. Yeah. People hire people and they hire people they trust and they trust people they know. So leverage whoever you can to try to network your way to your next job for sure. So I want to switch to
0: burnout because I I noticed two things and maybe we'll never win this game, but you know, prior to the pandemic, there was tons of burnout occurring left and right with people. Then, you know, the lines being blurred completely between work and not work um mm. cut to the pandemic, I've never worked more, I don't think, mm-hmm. or harder. Mm-hmm. And homeschooling and cooking and cleaning and attempting to be a wife.
1: Yeah. So
0: for for those who are employed right now, like what do you recommend or some just I guess best tips and practices on burnout?
1: Because I, I personally need them. You're right in that burnout was already on the rise for everyone and particularly in the United States where we work longer hours than workers in any other nation where we're more likely to take work home with us on nights and weekends. And despite our, our hours in, we're not the most efficient nation by any means. Right. Um, and so it was interesting last summer, the WHO, the World Health Organization, Uh, announced that burnout would be categorized now as a workplace phenomenon. It's still not a diagnosable mental health disorder, but it is so prevalent that it's been deemed a phenomenon because it's part of our everyday culture. And to be clear, let's, let's start by defining burnout and what it really is. It's a state of chronic stress, right? Ongoing stress, the kind that It doesn't leave you stronger afterwards, like a a intermittent amount of stress Mm -hmm. it degrades your brain. It actually deteriorates your brain and it manifests with three main symptoms. One, physical and emotional exhaustion, which I think we're all quite familiar with. Mm -hmm. Two is cynicism and detachment, that feeling of, oh, it doesn't even matter how hard I work. I can't change this. And certainly in the face of a global pandemic, it's easy to become cynical and detached when it feels like life is so out of our control. And then finally, feelings of ineffectiveness and a lack of accomplishment, especially in the face of evidence to the contrary, where we so easily forget what was on our to-did list, what what we did already, but we only are left at the end of a week with an ever-growing to-do list that makes us always feel like we're not caught up. So- you're right, that burnout was already on the rise. And in my book, I actually coin a term, um, the martyrdom mindset, which describes this, this uniquely American combination of the Protestant work ethic, which tells us idle hands are the devil's workshop, which literally means, right, that leisure is evil and, and that your personal worth hinges on your productivity, which I think is a very common feeling in philosophy still today, and then you combine that Protestant work ethic with gender politics of the last half a century of women being valued based on how much we care for others and how much we put everyone else's needs before our own, first at home, and then as women enter the workforce and mass and work, it makes it really easy to justify martyring yourself for the good of the cause, for the good of the team, for the good of the company. And the martyrdom mindset leaves us feeling like suffering is essential for success. So the first step to combating burnout is to push back on that sentiment and say, I cannot suffer my way to success. Nobody wins when I'm losing that much. So for, you know, first and foremost, it's about giving ourselves permission to lower our own expectations of ourselves right now uh and be compassionate not just to our team members but to ourselves and try to practice that self-compassion more easier said than done
0: (laughs) yeah and I guess I'm curious like now like I'll I'll give my my company is an example like there's less of us because unfortunately Mm. we had to let go of and furlough people. So everyone's taken on extra jobs. Mm. And so how do you sort of as a leader say, okay I'll expect myself to work like a dog. Right. But I also need my employees not to work like dogs, but to like, they, they now, some some of them have two and three jobs. Like how do you, how do you sort of navigate that difficult? Is it like, okay, this is temporary. We all know we're going to do this for a little bit and then it's going to ease up. I, I think that's a good question. It
1: really, to me, the antidote to Chronic stress is something that author Emily Nagoski calls completing the stress cycle, right? Stress is really problematic because our brains get flooded with hormones like cortisol, which Mm -hmm. if, if we don't release that cortisol from our bodies and brains, it will start to deteriorate our mental faculties. Meaning, you know, when you've had like a really tough week and something small happens, like you lock your keys in the car. And then you just weep (laughs) on the side of the road (laughs) or you have a little breakdown, right? Over something that on a good day would never have led you to break down in that way. We don't want ourselves or our teams breaking down in a big client meeting or breaking down when dealing with a tough workplace situation that requires all of our mental creativity to pivot right now. So what we have to do is we can't push through. We can't constantly push through we have to complete the stress cycle by regularly flushing our brains and bodies of those stress hormones. And that means intermittent rest and renewal is more important than ever before. That means yeah. self, self-care self right now is a non-negotiable. So when my team and I are up until nine or 10 o'clock at night on Slack, figuring out a new product that we're launching because everything has to be online now, the next morning, it's like, we are pushing our morning meeting back. You are all going on a run or you're going to do some yoga in your living room. And we are mindfully and very vocally kind of encouraging self-care and checking in on that because if they don't get eight hours of sleep that night, we're not going to be able to do this again the next day. Yeah. I love that. This leads me into
0: my next and
1: Maybe final question,
0: unless I have one off of what you're saying, (laughs) but do you have good advice for those who are tuning in, who
1: are maybe leading during this time and how to lead? Mm. best? Yeah, I'm doing a whole bunch of trainings right now on crisis leadership and what that really looks like. And I feel like we touched upon this already in the examples of what I'm doing with my team and what you're doing with yours, but one really key concept to keep in mind is creating a sense of psychological safety right now with looming layoffs and scary financial insecurity, it is so hard for any of our team members to show up fully with their creativity, their innovation, their ability to pivot and work hard if they feel like their basic needs are in threat, are being threatened. So... Even in the face of uncertainty, when you can't guarantee that those basic needs will still be there tomorrow, we have to, as leaders, create uh, what Brene Brown's, what Brene Brown calls containers, right? Create some online spaces, I assume at this point in time, but create psychologically safe spaces where our team members actually feel safe to take risks and be vulnerable in front of each other. Because without the ability to be vulnerable, we can't talk about fears. And if we can't talk about fears, we can't address them by saying things like, I don't know what next week or next month holds, but I can tell you what today is about. And I can tell you what we're focused on tomorrow. And I can tell you that I will keep you in the know as much as I can um, because I respect you. And, you know, I need you to respect each other right now. And then the second component to how you can create psychological safety, other than keeping people informed and being as transparent as possible, even when you have to say, I don't know, is to model vulnerability yourself. So last week, sadly, a a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, ended up passing away from COVID-19 just last week. And I got on our team call that morning and I cried. (laughs) And I, I thought, wow, I don't think I've cried in front of my team before. But instead of apologizing for those tears, which we are conditioned to do, especially as women, I just talked through those tears. And we created some space where other team members could say, yeah, I've had a friend of a friend in the hospital who just got off a ventilator. And if, I feel like as leaders, if you don't model, I'm not saying everyone needs to get on and cry on their team meeting, but if you don't make it okay to be scared, to be worried, to be uncertain right now, then no one else on your team will feel like they can be too. So it's important to model that vulnerability even when it feels uh, uncomfortable because this is uncomfortable. Like let's acknowledge that pain. Let's acknowledge that uncertainty. Let's not sugarcoat it or, or try to be aggressively optimistic. It's not it's it's invalidating to those of us who are feeling what all of us are feeling, which is uncertainty and a little bit of fear right now. Totally. I think you put it perfectly. I think like communication
0: is so key. I think vulnerability, it, yeah. Where can people if they want to get more of your
1: expertise find you? Sure. Um, get classes, all that good stuff. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Rebecca. I think your show is awesome. And I'm also a big fan. I've got to give a shout out to the Female Founder Collective um, and all you're doing there for women business owners like myself. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, search Bossed Up, B-O-S-S-E-D, up and you will find my podcast. We come out with two new episodes a week and you can go to bossedup.com to find all my trainings, free guides. We have a brand new free comprehensive job search guide, uh, and all kinds of great programming there for job seekers, leaders, and women who want to take their career to the next level. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much and, um, keep on giving us great data. We need it now more than ever. So it was great to talk.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Same to you. Okay.